Welcome to this latest edition, this very special edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm Surreal Gerald Quinn. As we look back, I look well, I look back at the greatest show ever created in mankind, The Wire. The Wire remix. We're gonna go through all 60 episodes over the course of the next um, of the next few months. Um, this first episode, of course, is the Target season one, episode one. Um, 2002 this was this when this series began uh first as always i'm streaming live on my uh, youtube channel on my youtube channel you can catch this uh broadcast this this broadcast anytime at stitcher youtube uh blog talk radio yeah i did i did shave so this is this is surreal joe quinn it's not it's not a stand-in it's been you know that quarantine shave uh, YouTube, Blog Talk Radio later on, Stitcher, Spotify, and a number of other, of course, iTunes, and of course, a number of other platforms which you can catch this program on. The Wire premiered June 2nd, 2002. This was in the, on HBO uh, Sunday at 9. It was in that coveted Sunday at 9 o'clock spot. Now, this was not a highly anticipated it was not a hyped up show. Matter of fact, you know, now you would see posters around, you know, around bus stops and metro place and metro stops and train stations. So they, they I mean, they did that. They, they did that uh, type of promotion to HBO as HBO did with all its new shows in terms of that kind of promotion. But it was not a ballyhooed show that, you know, it, it, that everybody was saying, whoa, I can't wait for this. Sh- can't wait to see this show. It was not that, not the least bit. And um, it premiered again, June second, two thousand two. Now, this is in the mid. You got what you have to understand. You go back to two thousand two. This is in the midst of two dynamic shows who are dominating on HBO: The Sopranos and also Sex in the City. Those were the those were the two go to shows on HBO by far. Those were the two shows that people. It was, those were two of the most popular shows on tele, on television. 2002, you look at te- uh, TV guys, top 10 television shows did not include did not include The Wire um, season one. Uh, you had shows like Boomtown, Gilmore Girls were in, were, were, were in uh, TV guys' top 10 shows. Think about what I just said. Boomtown and Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So again, not a lot of hype going into the first season of this show whatsoever. I didn't even see it. I didn't see it until late in the season. I think the episode where, uh, well, listen, if you haven't seen it, then spo- spoiler alert. The episode where uh, Wallace was killed, Michael B. Jordan, of course, Wallace was killed. That's the episode that I, that was the first time I saw the show in real time. Then I went back and watched it on demand following think later on, you know, 2003 before season two premiered. So it was not a show that that everybody, that a lot of people were talking with, a lot of people were talking about. Season one, episode one, The Target was directed by Clark Johnson. Of course, Clark Johnson, you know, was a journeyman actor, uh, has directed some, you know, directed some uh, episode, episodic television. As a matter of fact, played, was a, uh, one, of the, one of the stars in season five of The Wire, it was uh, as a uh, uh, Augustus Haynes, Gus Haynes, 
uh, one of the editors in the newspaper. So he so he was the original first director of the entire series. Of course, episode one was written written by David Simon, the creator, and Ed Burns, who um, who played a major role, of course, in season four with the uh, classroom narrative in uh, season four. Couple things that the wire had going for it that you hadn't seen from other shows. Number one, they they had an epigraph. So before the show would do this music and show you all the cast of characters, they would have an epigraph that would that would basically be a theme for the episode. Um, this in this episode, episode one, this the epigraph was when it's not your turn. That was McNulty. That was, of course, McNulty talking to uh, talking to a bunk played by Wendell Carter. So I hadn't seen that before, and I don't think that that had been done in television, where you have uh, where you have an epigraph, and then you have the where you first where you have the scenes play. You have the opening scene. They would have the opening scene, and then they would have the music with the cast of characters, and then the epigraph. So those are three things that the wire had that I that I hadn't seen on television. Most shows just go directly. Most shows just you know go directly into uh, either a musical theme, or just or what was becoming new and becoming popular at that time was you would see the show immediately go into the um, the start of the show and you would see the names without a musical theme. You would just see names. Um, the names of the characters. I know my wife and my kids was popular, kind of started that a little bit, going to directly into the show and just showing the names of the characters. But The Wire was different with the epigraph, um, starting really starting the epigraph. Now, this episode was a McNulty, uh, this was a McNulty, D'Angelo Barksdale episode all the way. These two characters were, I would say combined, were in probably 80% of the scenes. There were 80% scenes. This was a this was a Jimmy McNulty, D'Angelo Barksdale, D'Angelo Barksdale episode, uh, without question. The opening scene comes out. The opening scene, of course, not only set the tone for the entire season one, but it set the tone for the entire series, where you have a where you have a dice game, a crap game going wrong. One of the characters who had no no lines named Snot Boogie is laying down dead, shot. You have blood coming out of his nose. He's dead in the middle of the street. You have McNulty along with a witness who is telling the story of, of Snot Boogie and the crap game. Of course, the, the you know the famous you know the famous line, uh, the famous quote from the uh, from the young man saying it's a why you had to let Snot Boogie play because it's America. The story went so Snot Boogie every Friday night. Snot Boogie would play in this crap game, and he would wait till the pot of money, you know, got large. He would take the money from the, then he would take the money from the game. They would run, they, and other people in the game would run, would run and chase him, catch him, beat the shit out of him, and then allow him to continue, and despite this, allow him to continuously get back into the game. This went on, of course, Friday night after Friday night until one until one time until this time of course someone end up uh, end up killing them. Now a lot of layers to this scene. Number one, the game within the game. Number one, it first of all it connected all it connected every aspect of the three things that this series would follow. 
the street, the street, the cops, and the, the street, the cops, and the drug trade. So even though there were no drugs involved in this particular scene, the game, the game in terms of how many, the game was the street and all those things, all those things connected with this one scene. Now, you had the regular, you had the game of craps, one part of the game. The second part, you have the game within the game in where, okay, we're going to, we're going to allow this, we know this dude's probably going to take the pot, he's going to take the money, but we're going to chase him down, beat him up, and then allow him to be back, to get back into the game the next week, the next time we play. So that's the game within the, that was a game within the game. And then, and then, then the third part is, is of course, once you go past that and it gets, to, it turns into a murder. Now you have to involve the police and now you have, to, now you have a situation where you're playing, you know, a game of to snitch or not to snitch. Now, originally the guy who was talking to McNulty um, did not, you know, refuse to go into a courtroom, but McNulty to his credit, of course, played by Dominic West, who, by the way, at the time, uh, 2002, Dominic West was in a movie with uh, Sandra Bullock called, uh, what was that movie where she was an alcoholic? I don't, it's not 21 Days. I think it might have been 21 Days. I, I forgot the name of the movie that he was in with Sandra Bullock, but it's about when Sandra Bullock was an alcoholic. They both were alcoholics. She ended up going to rehab. They had a romance and, and what have you. Prior to that, I had never, no one had never seen Dominique, hadn't seen Dominique West in anything. And that was basically the majority, that basically made up for the majority of the wire cast. You would see faces and be like, hey, I know that face. But if you knew, if you looked at the names, you did not know these, for the, for the, for the most part, you did not know these names in terms of uh, in terms of this cast of characters. It was a, it was a, a lot of characters, a, a, a lot of cast, a lot of, you know, of course, a predominantly African-American African-American cast, which contribute to uh, why, you know, why some of the rate, why the ratings were not quite the way it was. Nobody had seen, nobody had seen this many African-Americans on television in one, in one show. Um, I think for the, in, in, a, in a long time, but getting back to the scene, the opening scene, McNulty, you know, this would make McNulty a great cop. He allows, you know, he was, you know, he was endearing. He allowed the guy to tell his story. Um, didn't push in terms of trying to find out answers. Wasn't playing bad cop. Really allowed the guy to tell his story and to uh, get, get what he had, wanted to get off his chest and end up getting the guy to, uh, in one of the scenes that would come, that would come along, the scene where they were in the courtroom or headed to the courtroom where he's walking with Bunk, um, said that the guy ended up uh, confessing, uh, telling who did it and got it for uh, for some for a pack of Newport. So he ended up getting the guy to flip on whoever shot Snot Boogie. So that was the brilliance of McNulty uh, in the course of that scene. And again, this was McNulty. We will see, of course, other parts of McNulty. Uh, over the course uh, of, of this episode. This episode was 62 minutes long. It was one of the longer episodes in the first season. Uh, most of these episodes ran about 55 to 60 minutes, but this episode went this episode went 62 minutes uh, long. We're going to go over some key scenes over the course uh, of, of the episode. I'll give you my MVP of the episode. I will give you my MVP of the episode, and I will grade 
this episode during the course of this podcast. Of course, this is the Real Deal Podcast Special Edition, The Wire Remix, Episode 1, Season 1. Now, again, you had this cast, you had a number of, of, of actors who had, who had bounced around, who had been on, you know, been in a, a lot of these actors were uh, New York actors. They were a mix of New York actors, a mix of uh, some actors from over from London. You had Dominique West and Ilgis Elba, who were both from um, both from London. You had a mixture of some veteran actor veteran uh, actors that had been around, but none of them had really. There was no stars at all in this. Um, there were no stars in uh, in this show at up until this point, and this was a show where really. Baltimore was the star. To be honest with you, Baltimore was the star. Um, and this was really like one of the first shows that that I saw. Now, I know you had like you had Life on the Street, Homicide, Life on the Street was which was also uh, you know part. David Simon was was a part of that. But really, there were there hadn't been no shows that I remember up to that point that had been Baltimore that had been driven by Baltimore and Baltimore where Baltimore was a character. So you had that going on with this, uh, with this part, with this show. Now, some of the key scenes uh, to take note of. Number one, you have you have D'Angelo. You have the courtroom scene where D'Angelo Barksdale, who of course was the nephew of the uh, kingpin Avon Barksdale, has been charged. Have been charged with a murder. Now, in the courtroom, you have Stringer. You have Stringer, Weebay, Stinkum, Savino, some of the, uh, most of, a lot of the, who were the top, you know, either the top lieutenants or top muscle for the Barksdale gang. You had them in the courtroom intimidating, intimidating a number of the witnesses who had, uh, who were testifying. You had a scene, that's a scene where you have a lawyer, Levy, who was, of course, the, the, the lawyer of the Barksdales, who just asked one question. One question. Uh, D'Angelo gets off because the witness, Nakisha Lyles, re- basically recanted her statement and says that she initially said that she uh, saw, initially said that she saw um, who shot the guy in the, uh, in the in the building. D'Angelo Barso, of course, was accused of shooting another guy, and he did it, he shooting another guy in the towers. She said that she thought that she saw that she saw D'Angelo, and then she went back and recanted her statement and said that it looked like somebody who, it looked like somebody like D'Angelo, like D'Angelo uh, Barksdale. So she was paid off by the Barksdales, and D'Angelo, D'Angelo gets off. Now, again, this showed a level of organization. Um, by the Barksdales, paying off witnesses, and not just witness intimidation, but just pay, but the, the idea that you can pay, paying off a witness, having a lawyer as powerful as Levy, um, and really this was a theme throughout this first episode where the criminals, the Barksdale organization was more structured and organized than the cops. I mean, the cops did, you know, throughout the course of this episode, the cops didn't know. Even the judge, Judge Phelan, who 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 Jimmy uh, who McNulty got in trouble with, with uh, with with Ross because he, he spoke to the judge, and they nobody even knew who Avon Barksdale was. This is one of the biggest drug dealers, 
probably at the time, the biggest drug dealer in West Baltimore, and no one knew who he was. Not the cops, not the judge, no one. One hand, you have the Barksdale organization who has rules in terms of how they want their how they wanted their organization ran. We Bay and D'Angelo are in the car. This is another key scene. We Bay and D'Angelo are in the car. D'Angelo's run, you know, running his mouth, you know, running his mouth about the case and about, you know, about the case and what have you. Uh, we Bay, who's the muscle, who's, who's the main muscle, basically tries to send him a, give him a hint to basically to shut up by turning the music up. He's playing, uh, playing some Jay-Z in the car. D'Angelo keeps talking. Weebay pulls the car over, stops in front of a, a fast food place, New York Fried Chicken, and basically makes D'Angelo go over what the rules are. Rules being, we don't talk shop, we don't talk in the car, we don't talk around no one that said unless it's our people. We don't talk shop, you know. And you know, D'Angelo, D'Angelo basically says, "Hey, this is our car. This is your car. I'm talking to you." Weebay isn't trying to hear it, so D'Angelo says, no talk, no talking in the car. Again, the structure and organization of a criminal, you know, of something, of criminals and of drug dealers, which I don't think had been seen before on television. I don't think that had been seen before on television. So that, that lets you know right there how serious this organization was as far as being, um, as far as having their shit together with just, you know, having following rules, follow, having a culture. There was a culture, you know, we talk about, you know, do a do a sports program talking about cultures all the time. The culture in the Barksdale organization was already set in terms of the rules that they had. It was a culture that came from the top, from uh, Avon, from Stringer. Now, you had a courtroom scene. You had the scene between McNulty and the judge. McNulty, uh, the judge basically asked, asked McNulty what happened in the courtroom. McNulty says, hey, you had people in the courtroom who were intimidating the witnesses. Uh, he tells McNulty, McNulty tells the judge who tells the judge about the Barksdales, about how many bodies they're dropping, about how, you know, how, how he controls the towers running coke and dope 24-7. And like and like most people, like most authority figures over the course of this episode, whether especially the cops, no one knew who Avon Barksdale or the Bar or this whole crew was. No one. And McNulty's basically saying, "Hey, everybody knows," but no one knew. So this gets McNulty in trouble, of course, with the powers that be, because the judge the judge makes some noise. And the next thing you know, this leads to them basically having to uh, having a detail, have set up, led by of course Cedric Daniels, who was at the at that time the shift lieutenant, to lead to get an investigation into what is going on. Now again, you will see that will go on in our next episode, the detail episode two. But McNulty set all of this off through his actions and through him talking to judge uh, to the to to the judge about uh Avon Barksdale and, and what and what that went on. So you had that scene which puts which got McNulty of course in hot water with Raw with uh with Deputy Rawls who is of course is his uh was his his supervisor 
well, not his supervisor, but his boss in the, uh, who was his boss. And this gets, gets McNulty in hot water. Now, listen, McNulty, as we all knew, McNulty, even if you hadn't watched the series, this entire series, at this point, you know, 20, you know, 15 to 25 minutes into this episode, that McNulty is going to be that dude. McNulty is going to be the guy who who is going to challenge authority. He's going to be the guy who um, just, just doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut, doesn't know to keep his mouth shut at all in terms of certain things. He is the guy. He's that, you know, he's going to be that kind of like that, that rogue, that challenging authority, that rogue cop in terms of challenging authority. He has an argument later in the later in the episode with Cedric Daniels about how to do the case and how to go about the case. Cedric Daniels, of course, is a was the shift lieutenant. He wants a clean by bus. He wants to keep things nice and neat. Does not feel like this is going to be a serious investigation. Didn't feel like this is going to be a serious investigation over um, during over the course of this episode. Now, over the course of this episode, a lot of characters, this was one of the problems that people had with this um, with this show. There were a number of characters um, introduced in, into uh, introduced even in this first episode. Um, even in this first episode, there were a number a lot of a lot of characters. Uh, another key scene, D'Angelo and Avon in the club. So Avon comes out, D'Angelo is out of jail. He's driven to the uh, a strip club, which is the um, which is played, you know, played as one of the locations, as one of the headquarters of, of the Barksdales and, and their organization. One of many, which of course we'll find out later on uh, over the course of the next over the next over this season. But the main, you know, you can you can kind of say this this they they ripped this off in terms of the Sopranos. That that is a fair comparison with the bottom being with the bottom being. So you you know. I, I would have, yeah, I have no problem with that, um, saying that they could have copied off the Sopranos from that standpoint. I don't think they did, but that argument can be made. So you have Avon upstairs, you know, sweatsuit, low profile, gives D'Angelo a lecture on White on, sh- on him shooting the dude in the towers. D'Angelo, of course, panicked, said the dude came at him, immediately pulled the gun out. And Avon, of course, Avon is the uncle of D'Angelo. And Avon gives him an earful. Gives him an earful about, about shooting the guy, basically saying, listen, we have people all throughout the building. You can't take, you couldn't take a beating. You couldn't take a beating. Just take a beating and keep it moving. You had to get, you know, you had to shoot him. And now we had to pay, basically have to pay some witnesses off, had to go through all this trouble, spending time and money to get you out, you know, get you out of your situation. Now, it's hard. It was it was tough love, but it was endearing. And and brilliant. Wood Harris was brilliant in this scene. Wood Harris, who played who played Avon Barksdale, was was tremendous in this scene. Uh, now before that, before this, I had not seen Wood Harris, and uh, I remembered Wood Harris from uh, Above the Rim. So that's where I you know I knew his face from Above the Rim. But of course, we saw him in Paid in Full that year in 2002. He did the Jimi Hendrix. Uh, biography in 2000 so he had been you know he had been around for four or five years prior to uh prior to the wire now as we are yes we're back here the important part of this scene uh to me this scene told a lot number one 
number one, how much he loved D'Angelo Bart, how, how much he loved D'Angelo and the whole idea of family. Yes, Avon was pissed off at D'Angelo for the mistake, but at the end of that scene, he says, hey, don't walk away like that. You're still family. We love, I love you. And he not only is endearing, he's endearing, but he's also tough in terms of the discipline. And this, again, D'Angelo finds out. D'Angelo asks him, you know, basically says, look, when I get back to the tower, I'm going to be, you know, on my game and what have you. Very subtle move by Avon in that scene. Avon just puts his head down, drops his head. That was to basically say, no, you're not going to be back in the towers. You're going to be, you're demoted. And we would go, and of course, that D'Angelo gets demoted to the pit. Um, he gets demoted to the pit from a, he had a tower, he gets demoted to the pit. Again, a, again, a, just because he was his nephew didn't mean anything. Avon was about business from that standpoint of how he ran his organization. Um, Again the, again, the structure, the discipline, the organization of the criminals versus the cops was something that just persisted throughout the course of this episode. Now, getting to the cops, you have introduced, introduced of course, you knew about McNulty, but you also learned about Kima, Carver, Kina, Carver, and Herc. You saw Kina, you saw Kima, Carver, and Herc in a, in one of the early scenes where Kima's uh Kima has a snitch, has a CI in the car, letting her know what's going on, letting her know what's going on in another car where there the legend where there's some guns, illegal activity going on. And Kima, they search the car, they stop the car, the car gets stopped, they pull over the the car, it has a one gun, they pull out one gun, Kima finds two guns. And she lets them know two guns. So automatically, you know, Kima is thorough in terms of about in terms of being, you know, she's doing all the typing. She's thorough about about police work as in comparisons to Carver and Herc, who as who all they want to do, also to have an interest in doing is basically busting up head, you know, as they say, you know, kicking ass and taking names of busting heads up. And they had again no snitches. They had no. They had, didn't have no any connections on the street from that standpoint. It was Kima Ci who had this, who had this. It was Kima Ci who uh, Kima who had the Cis. Not only the not only the girl who showed her where the guns were at, but also later on in the episode we will find um, we will find out her relationship with Bubbles, which proved by the way was based on a uh, a real life. A real life character, so you got a little insight into some of the into the cops, um, into some of the cops. Uh, with Cedric Daniels, he uh, was called by he was called by Bunk, a company man, a company man again, who may be on the uh, who's in uh, who will who will be up for a possible major spot if he can keep his nose clean. You got a you got to know. Uh, Jay Landsman, who let them tow, who made a bet with McNulty that if you keep this up, you're gonna be riding the boat. Um, you're gonna be riding the boat. They make that ten dollar bet, and a little bit, a bit of foreshadowing from that standpoint. Another key scene involving D'Angelo Barksdale 
It was and it was a very short, quick scene. It followed now. When D'Angelo's first day in the pit, or one of his first days in the pit, you had Johnny Weeks, who was Bubble Bubbles' assistant, the boy, the guy, uh, the guy, young man that Bubbles was was schooling, taking under his wing, basically had basically beating the drug dealers with fake money. So he gets caught using a fake ten dollar bill. Bo, uh, Brody. Bodie and a couple other Barksdale, the small soldiers, beat him up, beat the living daylights out of him. He ends up in the hospital. And Stringer and D'Angelo meet in the club. And D'Angelo basically was complaining about how vicious the beating was and saying that they didn't have to take it that far. Stringer checks D'Angelo immediately saying, look, this is all a part of this is a part of the game. We have to send a message. We can't show no weakness. I think at this point, and I think it was some foreshadowing in, in this scene. I think at this point, Stringer gets a sense of, of D'Angelo being weak. Now, we know if you watch the entire series, what would go, what would later happen between those two. I don't even have to, we'll have plenty of time to, do, to get into that. But, I, but that right there, to me, I, I'm looking from looking from Stringer's perspective. That that would tell me that like you know this guy. We know he's Avon's nephew, but this guy is not a real soldier. This guy is really not cut out, really not cut out for this part, you know, for this part of the, uh, of the drug game. And then, you know, D'Angelo, you know, this uh, this episode showed D'Angelo's, I'm not saying D'Angelo was all the way incompetent, 100% incompetent, incompetent, but you can tell, you can tell from this episode, from this first episode, that he was not built for the drug game. But at the same time, and I think the, the thing that I liked, I think people liked about the D'Angelo, the D'Angelo character, despite the fact that he was involved in the drug trade, you could he was easily, it was somebody that you could easily root for, because you wanted you watched this episode, you just wanted him to get out, you wanted him to get out, if you watched this episode, and that will go, uh, you know, we'll talk more, we'll talk about that more uh, over the course. Of the uh, over the course of the series, so you had that scene. Um, you had that scene as well. There was a couple of things um, of note. A young Michael B. Jordan as Wallace. A young Michael B. Jordan as Wallace. He couldn't have been older than fourteen, than 15, 16 years old. If that, I think he's like sixteen. So you had a young Michael B. Jordan playing with Wallace. He's the one that got burnt for the money. That uh that uh that, that bubbles is uh bubbles is uh Manti, uh he's the one that that came to try to do with the fake money got you know tricked for the money, and you had him you had Bodie calling uh you know calling calling uh D'Angelo out for not being tougher, not being tougher on uh on Wallace, and you already saw again that gave you some hints of things to come in terms of the Wallace. D'Angelo uh, relationship, but it didn't take long for us to, to for us to find out, to us to know that Bodie was was all in in terms of the drug game. He was all in. He was one hundred percent soldier. Um, probably Bodie probably should have had D'Angelo's job. To be honest with you, in terms of running the pit, I think that you know this is one. This might have been a weakness of Avon in terms of 
him not recognizing that D'Angelo was not cut out for the drug game and having put D'Angelo in such a, a powerful position of having a tower. So I, that that probably was a weakness that you know that that you know that leadership went went had a uh, went both ways as far as him as far as him demoting D'Angelo, but probably probably D'Angelo probably shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. But again, you got a sense with Avon D'Angelo similar to the Godfather. I feel with Michael and Fredo, like he's my family. I got I have to look out for him. I have to look out for him because if I don't look out for him, then he's gonna be lost. It's gonna be lost if I don't look out for him. As far as the as far as MVP of the episode, I thought the MVP of the episode has to be Jimmy McNulty. McNulty was in a majority of the scenes. He kind of set the whole got the whole thing jumping as far as as far as looking into Avon Barksdale. He he again he was brilliant in that first scene with. Uh, with the Snob Boogie and the other young actor that was uh, that was telling the story of how Snob Boogie got killed, uh, I thought McNulty he was funny. His scenes with but with with Bunk were funny at the bar. They tell in the end on the train tracks with Bunk Bunk's telling the story about shooting a mouse with a service weapon, which by the way is a true story. Um, if you read um, some of the if you read some some stuff that was written about the wire, that's based on a true story. The bunk character is based on a, a real life cop as well. Um, so I think I think McNulty was the MVP of this episode, with D'Angelo coming in a close second. Because I thought Larry Gilliard, Gilliard Jr., who played D'Angelo Barstow, was uh was very good in this episode. Again, making it easy, if it's po- if it's possible to root for a criminal, you had to root for D'Angelo to, to like to get out of this or root for D'Angelo to somehow yeah to somehow get out of his life. Um as far as the best scene, I think the best scene I, I would have you have to say now Barksdale D'Angelo was close as far as their their conversation. But I thought the best scene had to be the opening scene with Snot Boogie McNulty, uh Snot Boogie the McNulty Snot Boogie scene because it set the entire tone for the entire series with how much was going on over the course. If you really, I mean, if you really look at that scene, it is a remarkable, remarkable in terms of how well written it was. And just, you know, the, like I said, the games within the game, the whole connecting of the street, the police, and 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 the drug trade. Even though even though that particular scene had nothing to do with drugs. But that scene set the entire tone for the entire series, not just for the season, but for the entire series. So that to me, that to me is the best, uh, was the best scene. Critics, a lot of critics had a problem. Critics were saying about this. The majority of the, of the, the majority of, of, of the reviews were, were, um, were good. The majority of the reviews were good. The problem people had with this, the problem people had with this, and I can look at, I'll, we can look at, I can look at uh, some of what the critics uh, said. In regards to, um,
in regards to this uh, this episode or or this first in terms of this episode I from here's what uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette said this Here's what the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette said. They, they stated that the producers' expectations that the audience would have the patience for a complex, moral, ambiguous, and slow unfolding story might be pro- might prove unfounded. The cast members from Homicide and Oz are described as less accessible than either, less than accessible than, than the characters from The Wire. Uh, here's what New York Times plays the performances of some of the cast and some of the cast and said that the show had moments that drew the viewer in, but ultimately, ultimately required too much of its audience. And and that basically was a lot. That basically was a main the one of the main complaints about the show in terms of, you know, living in a world where everything is one. It was we have a microwave audience and even in 2002. We even in 2002, there was a sense that the show, the shows that got the highest ratings were the shows that had, you know, action that action at every turn. You know, people even back then, you did not the highest rated shows did not invest in making the audience think. That was not what the, that was not what what was it about what you know what television was about, and The Wire again. This episode was relatively slow. And I, you know, this I would give this overall episode a B plus because it it certainly has aged well. But I could see, I could see someone just being out on this first episode if they're looking for uh, immediate payoff, and that's what the the wire was not built for immediate payoff. Uh, it was not built that way. But the you know, but the level again, the characters. And also, one of the criticisms were how many, how, were how many characters that this show had. Now, to a point, and this this was this was said by David Simon. The last scene, the last scene, of course, William Gant, who was the witness that fingered D'Angelo as the murderer, as the murderer, um, in you know, in the towers, he was shot in the head. And if you remember. D'Angelo walks up in the crowd, sees that it was Gant, and they do a flashback of William Gant pointing out D'Angelo in that opening courtroom scene. Now, that was the first and only time I ever remember The Wire doing a flashback. And Simon mentioned that HBO basically urged him to do that because, so that the audience would, wouldn't forget who the Gantt character was, and the Gantt character, and the Gantt character has would end up being an important character in this series at the beginning of this series. To be honest with you, let alone you know throughout, especially through the course of season one. Um, Simon didn't agree with HBO with, with this, but he ended up doing it anyway. But that would be the last time. That would be the last time that I saw a, that you saw a flashback in the wire. Throughout the course of sixty episodes, five seasons, that'll be the last time you saw you saw um, that you saw a flashback. So overall, I gave this episode a B plus. Um, the snob boogie scene was brilliant. Um, the, the parallels between McNulty 
and D'Angelo Barksdale were well done. The you know the cop the again the lack of organ the lack of organization with the cops and resources they 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 and resources towards and even the fact that they didn't even recognize who again who D'Angelo who Avon Barksdale was and even caring about the drug wars versus the organization from top to bottom of the criminals. Those comparisons, I thought they they was brilliantly depicted in this episode. So, based on that, I gave it a B plus. You can give it a B or B plus. It was not an A episode again it, because it moved too slow. So it was not an A episode. So I would say I said the episode was a B plus. That's gonna wrap it up for this edition of the Wire Remix Season One, Episode One. The Target will be back next week with. Season one, episode two, the detail. Okay, of course, this is uh, this is the real deal podcast. You will see me. You will see me over the course. Hear from me over the course of the week with some other podcasts. But in terms of the wire, we'll be back next Sunday with another edition of the Wire Remixed Season One, Episode Two. I'm out. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.